Tuesday Night Wines. Oh, that's all over the place. Um, Cabernet Franc. I always say Cabernet Franc is my boyfriend. That's my grape. I just love Cab Franc, like in all its forms. It's been my kind of, the one I fell in love with when I first got into wine, and it's still my favorite. You're listening to The Vint Podcast, bringing you expert interviews, alternative market insights, and exclusive access to the world of wine and spirits investing. Enjoy the show. back to another episode of the Vent Podcast. My name is Brady, joined by Billy. Both of us have stripes on today, and you would know that if you were watching us on our YouTube channel. The podcast is now on YouTube, so if you haven't checked this out over there, go on over. It's a great way to view our content and get a sense of, a fuller sense of the conversation with our guests, so we hope that we'll see you over there. Billy, how have you been? Doing very well. I'm excited for this episode, not only because our guest was very exciting and energetic. It was a great interview, but also I'm excited to talk about some of our maybe unique things that we've been drinking lately. We haven't really touched on those in a while, so it's going to be a great episode. I've been talking to a few of our clients or a few of our investors of their own wines that they're drinking and been able to share some cool things recently. It's fun to see people, like we've said in the past, growing alongside their interest in wine and spirits along with investing. I've been trying to grow interest in my local community here recently. And I had a blunder this past weekend. I started Wine Society in my sort of neighborhood, but also the surrounding area. A really mm-hmm. robust Facebook page for, for our neighborhood. There's probably almost a thousand people on this Facebook. And they talk about road work and break-ins and <laughs> anything that's happening. <laughs> yeah. But so I originally spun this Wine Society up out of that and got a good many people to kind of join the group and express interest. And we had our first event and it went great. So we had our second this past weekend and we had a dozen people RSVP. So I bought all this stuff, charcuterie, cheese, open wine that I thought was interesting and wasn't just like any old bottle. I like tried to pull some interesting bottles out of my cellar and uh, two people showed up. It was, how how um, far apart were these again? So we do it every 10 weeks. So There's only five a year. Um, That's such so a random a thing. It's a random yeah, time well, period. Monthly was too often, just for, for our schedule personally, and I think like for some of our group people, so I thought, but apparently 10 weeks is <laughs> good either. But I thought that it would give people enough time to kind of plan between each one and to, to make sure that they could be there. And also, I recognize that it can be a financial commitment if you're bringing bottles and stuff like that. So anyways, it's supposed to be every 10 weeks, and so I have to wait another nine weeks to redeem myself and for the group, <laughs> hopefully to get back on good footing. But Blind. we did a... We did wine or red wine 101 this past weekend. So maybe people just don't like red wine. Maybe when we do white wine 101, it'll be yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, spreading the wine gospel is hard, man, sometimes. Sometimes you just got to drink yeah. your own wine. <laughs> so what were some of the things you opened or what's something interesting you've had at least? I was going back and forth trying to figure out, okay, what are a few varieties that people would have to taste to get, get a sense of, okay, red wine isn't just this monolithic thing. There's white wine and there's red wine. All red wine tastes the same. So I was going to do like a Cab Franc, Zin, and then maybe a Pinot Noir it was my original goal that I was going to do. I didn't have much. Like I wanted to have a Limbrusco, but I didn't have it. I wanted to have some just maybe more like effervescent or lighter expressions, but I didn't have any of that stuff on hand. So I went for the those that I, I just named. And so I ended up having a Oh, forgetting what it was. It was a James Berry fruit from Paso. It was like 2014. And I cannot remember mm. the producer or which it was right now. And we also had the Bordeaux blend from Barbersville, the, their Octagon Virginia wine. So that would, that kind of worked as like the older world style expression of some of those varieties. And then we did, we had some Ridge Geyser because someone was asking about Zinfandel and like white Zinfandel. And so we had some like ridges in and that's, that was cool. And then someone brought this Concord red that he made. So this was the highlight of the event. One of our group members made 30 bottles of this Concord red wine in his house, 14% bottled this month. And I got the second bottle of the 30 that he made. So it was really cool. Shout out to Ben Davis making this wine. Nice. Did you tell the folks drinking the red Zinfandel, that's what 
white Zinfandel's also made out of. It's just the same grape. <laughs> yeah, I was like, white Zinfandel's, and you can maybe clarify some of this. I was just like, white Zinfandel's not actually like a real thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it was basically invented out of mistake, like a lot of things in wine, but it was just a stuck fermentation. And what a stuck fermentation means is basically like a wine starts fermenting and then the yeast just crap out for whatever reason. Maybe the sugar content's too high, they were working too fast, but the yeast just stopped fermenting. So they were just left with this wine that had spent a little bit time with the skin. So it got a little pinkish and had some sugar left. And they were like, we're not going to waste this. Let's just bottle it and see if anybody likes it. And then there you go. Everybody liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was neat. And I think what else we had. I like how your old world expression was from Virginia. That's funny. Yeah. It really is, though, like in terms of the style of that particular wine. And it was like a 2016, so it wasn't old, but it, it wasn't recent release. So it had a couple of years on it, which is cool. And then the Syrah that we had, like I said, was a 2014. So I think it was neat for folks to be able to have something that was approaching 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And we went as our on our retreat. We went to Barbersville and got to meet the winemaker there who made that wine. And he is French and has a very old world palate. So I'm not arguing with you on the wine. I just think it's funny that growing up in Virginia, never thought I'd hear people say that. I realized that I actually don't have much Bordeaux at all. And so that might be really wild for some people. But I have a ton of champagne, a good amount of Burgundy, a good amount of Napa, even like way more like Italian and German wines, Austrian wines than I even do Bordeaux. So I didn't have I didn't have much without having to go out and purchase something. So that was what I went with. We opened a Cap too from a different Virginia producer. Oh, nice. I had, so I've tasted, not all of these were bottles. Some of these were just tastings while I was out. So I'll go and order two. We also had a Cab Franc. That was neat. I got to taste that next to a Carmenere from Chile. And it was interesting because the, the bartender. Was the Cab Franc Chile, South American, or was it? No, the Cab Franc was really traditional. It was Chinon from Loire. So it was oh. from like so the Loire Valley. Chinon is a subregion within. And it was a really cool expression. And the, it's one of these local wine bars we go to in the, the server was actually trying to learn more about wine himself. Like he just, he's only been there for a little while. So I had, I actually told him to taste the Carmenere next to the Cab Franc because their Carmenere is known for its pyrazines and so is Cab Franc, but their expression is just so different from the Loire. And of course the accompanying flavors as well are so different. So that was neat. We also had over the weekend, I had a traditional Austrian kind of red blend from Bergenland. It was just, I assume it was mostly Blau Frankish and Zweigelt, maybe some Saint Laurent. But what I thought was interesting is it was at one of these little kind of more hipster kind of cop, natural wine bars nearby us. We were just out walking the neighborhood and they just had the name of the producer. It was some long traditional Austrian German name. And they basically said red fruit, bright, mineral driven, typical for the region or like traditional Bergenland. And I was just like, I knew exactly what they meant. I was like, sweet, love it. But who else just walking around the neighborhood randomly is like, yes, these traditional, uh, traditional. Bergenland wines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were like, oh yeah, indicative of the region. And I was just like, who else is reading this? And I was like, yeah. cool. All right, works for me. But I think the highlight of the weekend, and I have my my big wine books thing out, was the Turpot we had on mm. one of the wine bars as well. The producer was, I have it up here, Oriol Artigas, and it was called Same Negre. It was from Catalonia. And basically, Trepat, T-R-E-P-A-T, is a traditional red varietal from Catalonia. Looking in my book of grapes here, I think it's native to the area. And it's typically just used in pink cava, rosé cava, rosado. And when I was doing my studies, and I think I might have mentioned this on maybe one of our other podcasts, I somebody had mentioned the grape in one of my things I was reading. And they were like, if you ever find it single varietal, you should try it. And randomly enough, we were offered it and it was really good. This was like a Terra Swallow darker rosé style, but really cool. And I was really excited to see it. So had to share. Nice. Yeah, I haven't heard that. I didn't know that's basically like a large percentage of rosé cava is that variety or is it? Not it's it, 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 there is a mix of grapes that are in rosé cava and it's not super uh-huh. common the single varietal or extra hard it's just one of the blending grapes that are allowed in rosé cava so they can mm-hmm. include like grenache noir pinot noir this grape there's a few other ones as well i think carignan mm-hmm. can be but yeah it's just one of those and it's like an obscure blending grape that you never really see that much on its own yeah i remember the other one that we had was zero from if i'm saying it right from Port- portugal see now franca and what was the other 
Rorish. Mm. Tinto Rorish. Not, not seeing. No, I don't think so. I'm not seeing the other one. I'm just looking online here at some of these different varieties. I'm not seeing the third one. That what you're saying isn't it though? But that was interesting. Never had. Yeah, I haven't had a wine from there before. <clears throat> and that was what the lady who brought it. She went to the wine shop and she was, I forget what she said she was looking for, but the wine shop owner said, oh, have you had anything from Portugal? And she said, oh, like Vino Verde. He was like, oh, try this. And so she had never, she just brought it off his recommendation. So that's cool. I love that. Yeah. No, they're great value to be found in Portugal. Those two grapes are two of their longest lived, thick, higher tan and darker skin. They're prized for making port. And the other grape I was suggesting was their name for Tempranillo. Um, But there's, a ton uh, okay. of grapes that can be made up there that are widely yeah. grown. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty even blend of the three. It was like 40, 30, 30, or something like that. Or, yeah, it was interesting. It was fine. It was good. Nice. And we had yeah. a cool conversation about like price of wine. I just asked like what people's just sort of personal conceptions of what value was and were like what they expect to spend when they go out and buy wine. I thought that was kind of interesting because it led us into a conversation of trying to figure out why people will spend more for a bottle of wine, five glasses versus a bottle of spirits that you might get like 15 or 18 or whatever the number is I forget out of. And so that was kind of interesting just talking about like value and consumer habits. It's really cool. Outside of one of these wine bars, we were actually like a block away and I just heard a dude being like, yeah, dude, you're so baller. You can find like an $80 bottle that like nobody really knows. If you can find a wine, <laughs> 80 bucks, but it's like really baller. Like you're a G man. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, that's not impressive. Anybody can find a good $80 bottle. Like (laughs) you can find a really cool one that's under 20 or 20 to 30. That's like out of this world. That's cool. But he would stop and overheard in LA. I was reading out of Psalms, the wine simple uh, a little bit before people came over. Cause I was, what was I looking at? Something about, Oh, something with service temperature. I was like trying to figure out this one wine that we had anyways. And uh, he was talking about, I was in the section. He was talking about how he wouldn't, his threshold was like $12 or he would never spend less than $12 for a bottle of wine, or he was like telling people not to spend less than $12. Um, hmm. So we talked about that a little bit too. And some group members were like, yeah, I feel like you can't make, like physically can't make wine in terms of producing it for under $10 if you're like not cutting corners and stuff like that. So like, yeah, there's economies of scale and in production that need to be met to be able to do that type of thing. Yeah, I think that's a fairly, in the U.S. at least, I wouldn't spend under 12. You can, if you're over in Europe or else, it's possible, I would say. I do still stand by TJ's $7 Gewurztraminer, though. I Yeah, I think that breaks the mold. And they have a Vino Verde for $6 or $5 that breaks the mold, too, I think. So, I don't know. They, maybe they do some, like, weird magic stuff. I don't know how they get <laughs> Juice I'm talking price, on the but, whole. I don't. Yeah, no, Vino Verde. There are some really affordable yeah. ones that are pretty cool. And same with really like there's some Cava, like the Freshenay Cordon Negro. I think that's nine ninety nine even here. So and uh, I think yeah. I I don't mind that one. It's traditionally method. It's good to and me. What I don't understand is how they is does. I don't know if it's out in California, but in Virginia they had a four ninety nine Rosé Pinot Noir. I don't know how they do that. <laughs> at four ninety nine, but it was very good uh, myself. Mm. So it's probably not all anyway. being anymore. But yeah. yeah. Cool. A couple of things. So the reason we brought up Brady trying to host events and interesting grapes. We Vint is having an event in New York at some point here. We're working on planning. If you're interested, reach out <laughs> mm-hmm. to Brady. He's trying to get a head count of all the local Vinters that are going to be going. I don't know if that's the name we use. And then we have a really interesting interview with Christy Wentz for Head. Brady, do you want to talk a little bit about who she is and how yeah. we came across her? Yeah, sure. Yeah, a couple more details I actually can share on the event. It's going to be February 24th. Pretty sure it's 7 p.m. We're still working on nailing down the venue. We're in the final stages of that right now. So there's a chance that time could change, but right now it is February 24th. That's a Friday in probably Midtown Manhattan at 7 p.m. So yeah, reach out if you would like in RSVP form, we'd love to have you there, both for current and prospective investors or folks who just want to come hang out, drink some wine and meet me and maybe, I don't know if any other members of our team will be there, but certainly some current investors as well. And then in terms of our interview today, yeah, we did have an awesome conversation with Christy Wenz, who is the Senior Managing Director at Vinohead. She's a writer and educator around wine. She's done some WSET courses, intro courses for WSET, and just really has a lot of knowledge about 
wine across the U.S. because I think her writing with Vino had in the work there, but also she's just a passionate student and drinker of cool wines. We talked a lot about the wines from Michigan uh, in the opening part of the episode. And yeah, it gives a lot of great recommendations on wine culture. And yeah, great. We're excited for you to listen to this conversation. Yeah, it was one of my favorites in a while. Yeah, enjoy. Here's Christy. Hey, Christy, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah, no, I love your background. A lot of colors and Gatsby. Uh-huh. I love that. Yep, yep. Um, wine glasses over there. <laughs> are you a, are you all things art and culture along with wine or sort of what's your I would say mostly disposition? music, but I'm Fitzgerald obsessed. So that's the connection there. And right. Hemingway and Fitzgerald are kind of my, my go-tos, yeah. but otherwise mostly music. Nice. Are you a big like wine label, like kind of? big on the labeling not really not really sometimes like sometimes one will jump out and i'll grab it because of that but really i was gonna say on the hemingway side i've done like a small basically following in his footsteps over the years like travel wise i just got to i went to his place his place his grave in idaho last year but (laughs) i forgot that's out there that's right yeah i've been to his birthplace in uh, oak park here in chicago oh no yeah so my mom is from oak park so we've we had done that. I've done Key West, Rhonda, and Cuba. So I awesome. just had to see where he died. And I was just like, I'm oh my good God, to go. I love that. Because I've done the same thing with Fitzgerald. And I don't tell anybody because I feel like, oh my God, I'm like chasing a dead guy around places he was. It feels weird. <laughs> he wrote that book in that oh. house. And I have pictures of the house. And, yeah. It's totally normal. Oh my, Everybody yeah, I does. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Why not? Nah. Awesome. Oh, well, cool. Yeah, so we brought you on to talk only about literature. So that's perfect, it. Perfect. Speaking of writing, we've Nick has been friends with Josh at Vinohead for a while. I got to meet him for lunch last year. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got connected with Vinohead and like what it is and a little bit more about your background as a whole? Yeah, totally. And it's actually funny. I think Nick was our first corkboard interview that we did. One of it was either the first or the second. Oh, cool. Uh, so it's our corkboard features are kind of this Q&A thing. So that's how I got to know Nick. But Vinohead, it came up actually through an Instagram connection. That's how I met Josh. Probably, gosh, it would have been back in 2020. 20 I think and so I started writing some reviews for him and then shortly after that he needed managing editor and I jumped on board so that was the whole entry into Vinohead and it's been there gosh yeah since 2020 now so it's been pretty cool which is a decade ago basically right? if, in in years yeah we don't even dog years I mean, it's like human years for that debacle it was can fun. you give our our listeners a little background on what Vinohead is. Yeah, absolutely. Then... So Vinohead is a, right now it's a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday and we give anywhere from six to eight wine reviews on stuff that our tasting lab is drinking. And it's all stuff that we just drink in our everyday lives. So it's stuff that we're buying on our own, that we're having at restaurants. We'll get some samples sent to us, but it they only make it if we actually like them. So it's not pay for play. There's absolutely no advertising dollars going into Vinohead. So it's just really what we're drinking. In the tasting lab, we've got writers from across the country, some sommeliers, some just wine educators, some just consumers that know wine really well and like to write. So there's a whole kind of mixed bag of our tasting lab. And we're always on the lookout for new talent and writing and people that are interested in that aspect of wine. And that comes out every Friday. We have that corkboard feature I mentioned earlier that comes out in the newsletter as well, Q&A feature on people either in wine or loosely connected to wine. The interviews are fun. They're like, would you rather, you know, spend the night in a rainforest or at the North Pole? Like they're just random questions and designed in a way to really get to know somebody and break down those barriers, which I think is kind of what head is in its essence. It's kind of our purpose is to break down those barriers in wine. It's oftentimes it can be so stuffy and unapproachable and we just want to open it up and make a community out of it. So we're developing the community, talking with people rather than at people. And we're living in the real world and drinking wine and telling people where we're drinking it and why we're drinking it. It's less focused on, the reviews are less focused on, here's what we're tasting in the wine and the structure. Like we're not doing that educational breakdown. It's more, here's a couple flavors, but here's where we enjoyed it and how it went with this and maybe pair it with this and date night wine or just take it out by the pool kind of wine and just making it part of a lifestyle. Because for us, that's what it is. It's it's about drinking it with friends and family and people that we enjoy spending time with. And also about meeting other people too, which I think is the cool Mm -hmm. thing about wine. Make friends over wine. And it's so we're really just trying to reach as many people as we can, especially focus on the millennials and Gen Zs and talking their language and making wine a part of the lifestyle. 
What's the value in your mind of someone hearing about a wine from Christie versus James Suckling? Because like for us, for us, the scores and vintage ratings and stuff in our side of the business still is still something that we need to talk about when we're approaching some of these wines. But definitely, I don't know a 21 year old who cares about James Suckling. I would also say (laughs) before you dive in, the one difference might be that James Suckling only gives 99s and 100s. And I'm sure Christy criticizes the wine sometimes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. (laughs) Point two, point scale. I would say even a necessary evil, like I still look at them too, even though I don't want to. And I feel like there's a lot of people that way, like we don't want to look at them. We don't want them to matter, but then you still look. But Mm. I would say, I think the value of either a point system or trusting a reviewer is getting to know who they are and what they like. Cause not everybody's going to have the same wines I like. And same with my writers. Like I don't always like the wines that they're drinking. They don't always like the wines that I'm drinking because it's so personal. And so it's really about describing the scenario, why we liked it, why we'd enjoy it, some kind of unique things about it. Because the flavors and the smells, all that stuff is so subjective, right? What I smell might not be what you smell. So it's hard to really get into that. And there's, you can say, okay, red fruits or tree fruits or whatever. And that, you're in that ballpark and you can get more micro from there. But I don't know. I think it's, I think once you get to know the reviewer and start to understand the kinds of wines they like and, you know, the authenticity behind them, then you can start to connect a little bit more and figure out, okay, I know I tried that wine that, you know, somebody drank last week and I liked it. So maybe I'll pay attention to their reviews a little bit more. The reviews that make it into the newsletter for us are generally wines that we've enjoyed. We don't put anything in there that we didn't like. So you're not going to see some criticism in there. But there are times in my other sides of my world where I write about wines where I will say this one, it's not my style, but I can objectively say that here it's got the structure's good. This is good. I think it'll appeal to people that like this style of wine. So you can be fair about it without having to make every wine sound like it's phenomenal because you're not going to think yeah. every wine's phenomenal. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> There's some I just really don't like, but I know other people do and that's okay. Yeah. So how did you get into wine, wine writing, the review stuff? Yeah. Take us all the way oh, back to the oh, beginning. You don't want to go all the way back. <laughs> okay, fine. This was a long Part way. Far enough so we don't get scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. A long winding path. My first interest in wine really started out in California. I was on a road trip and wine wasn't really, I drank it occasionally and liked it, but it wasn't something that was on my radar. And this is, it's an embarrassing story, but we're driving through the desert and I really have to go to the bathrooms. So we're like, all right, we got to find a place to stop. We found, and this was probably two decades ago, Temecula, California. So at the time, now it's like the Disneyland of wine down there, right? There's so many spots. <laughs> but at the time, there was just like a handful of wineries. We're like, I have a bathroom. Just stop in one of those. And, and we did, I went to the bathroom, came out, and they're like, oh, you want to do a tasting? We're like, okay. <laughs> I've never really done one of these before, but sure. I was like, all right, that was fun. So we stopped at another one. And... Uh, guy comes out and he's like, oh, you just missed the tour. And we're like, we have no idea what he's talking about. Like, we just wanted to taste some wine. We've never done this before. And he's like, come on back. <laughs> he spent, he was the owner. He spent two hours with us just talking to us about how to make wine, the business side, and, and getting to the economics, the market. Like, it was just a whole, and, and I was just eating it up. I'm like, this is amazing. And that was my, after that, every trip it involved going to wineries, every road trip across the country. If we found one in the middle of Nebraska, we'd stop. Like it just became what we did. And so it, that really got the ball rolling into my entry into tasting wines and enjoying wines. And then, oh gosh, in 2015, I was on another vacation. We were staying on a vineyard at an Airbnb property and ended up getting to know the owner of the Airbnb property really well. And they owned the vineyard. And they needed some help tying vines. I was like, we'll do that. They're like, no, it's your vacation. I'm like, yeah, but that would be cool. That'd be an amazing vacation for me. <laughs> yeah, and so right. we ended up tying vines for a day and then and then met the marketing director for the Finger Lakes Wine Country Association there. And mm-hmm. so started talking to her. And my background is marketing and PR. And she's like, oh, you like to write? She's like, I could use some, some articles. And so it kind of took off from there. So Finger Lakes, I always say, is my home away from home because that really kicked off the career. But it wasn't it wasn't a direct path even after that. It was a lot of trial and error of testing different hats, different things, see what I liked, what fit. And even now, like I still, I do so many different things that it's hard to, I'm not really, I do all kinds of things. And I just, anything and everything to do with wine that I can get my hands on, it's, I love it. I just love it. <laughs> so definitely a winding path, but I'm no longer in the corporate America world. I did get out of that. That is wine full time. Yeah, Billy's a huge Nebraska wine guy. <laughs> I always joke with Billy that he likes wines if they're from a state that doesn't actually produce wine. Yeah, no, they well, actually do. It's crazy. <laughs> it's cra- and I had some good stuff. I wouldn't compare. I wouldn't put it next to Bordeaux or Napa or anything like that. But there's some really drinkable stuff out there and some fun spots to just hang out <laughs> for an afternoon and 
it's yeah, it's cool what you come up with. It's wild. I think we've had wines in yeah. twenty eight states now, at least. So wow, yeah, that's awesome. yeah, and definitely that's not cool. all winners, yeah. but oh, drinkable. Yeah, exactly. Which is what every winery strives <laughs> for: drinkable. <laughs> Maybe not so drinkable, but well, uh, yeah, there's there's stuff for everybody, and it's just it's fun. It's really cool to see how the industry's really grown. I think there's wine in all fifty states at this point. It's mm-hmm. kind of it's cool. It's a cool thing. Yeah, I really want to try an Alaska wine. I, I would know. Just say that. So. Yeah, I'd be really curious to try. There's a lot of wines I'd still like to try. Like, I'd love to try. I haven't had any Arizona wine. I'd love that for that's taken off. So I'd like to try that. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, so people and some of my studies, like I'm trying to wrap up this W set diploma nice. soon. Um, and it always boggles my mind. We just, I just did some of the sparkling, and they're like the English wine. It's very short growing season. But since we were English wine, there's a lot of examples of this, but short growing season, but since they are higher latitude, the amount of sun hours they get, that always boggles my mind. Right. So when I first thought of Alaska, I was like, oh, their summer's way too short, but it's when it's sunny hours a day and right. they can pump up the sugars, you're good to go. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. But speaking of a colder place that grows <laughs> grapes, Michigan, yeah. you work on a winery there. Tell us a little bit about your work up there and the producer you work with. Yeah, I've worked with a lot up there. So it's mostly in Southwest Michigan. So Michigan's got, I think, five AVAs now. Three kind of big, well, four kind of biggest ones are two of them are in the Southwest corner of the state. And then two are a little bit further north up in the Traverse City area. Vastly different from each other. Just a really cool place that I think is going to be on the forefront, just given climate change. Like they're positioned really well. Kind of like the UK, like you said, like they're in that same kind of, they're, it's, Climate change is going to benefit the vines there. But I got involved there. I started, same thing, traveling up there. It was just in the backyard for Chicago. And summers, we'd spend doing wine tours and visiting all the wineries and just camping up there. The beach is right there, so it's great. And and I got to know a winemaker. This has been about five years ago. Another Airbnb, too. Like, Airbnb, I should thank Airbnb. Um, stayed at an Airbnb property. The guy had a winery. And and so we started talking, hit it off, and he's actually the one that got me in all my WSET programs, and he became my mentor. And I ended up doing three harvests with him, and uh, so that was amazing. And then after that, I started working with the wine trail itself to pr- produce a video talking about the area itself and really digging into the geology and the terroir and everything that it has going on. And then started working with another winery after that had has a vineyard and a winery. So I did two full growing seasons on the vineyard and the cellar and it helped to make some wines. And it was it's amazing. And it's it was just cool to be a part of that process and see how everything actually works and get it to be hands on. And because it's one thing to, I think, read it in a book, like I can memorize stuff, but then to actually see it and touch it and do it. It's okay. Now I get it. Like now that makes sense. So it really helped to connect the dots and uh, and Michigan, Southwest Michigan is pretty cool. I really think it's going to be, I always say it's like the Finger Lakes about 15, 20 years ago. It's got the potential. Mm. There's only about 20 wineries there right now, but there's a lot of new growers coming in. There's a lot of new young winemakers coming in. So I think you're going to start to see it pick up over the next decade or two. It always takes a while, but I think it's on its way. What are they growing up there? Is it mostly hybrids or are there, is there vinifera too? Mostly or? vinifera. There's mm. there are some hybrids, but the places I was at, it's all vinifera. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot, a lot of Bordeaux blends, the Cab Sauv, Cab Franc, see more low up there, Syrah, there's some Marsan Roussan. It's, you can really, you can find a lot of vinifera up there. Further up north in the Travers area, you see a lot more Riesling, a lot more kind of Alsatian style wines, some great sparkling wines, traditional method, a lot of that happening. But then some hybrids too, you for sure have those. You'll have Marquette and Marichal Foch and Val and Vignoles and a couple of those. So a little more cold hardy varieties. But but I think you're seeing a move more towards the vinifera because it's working and a lot of them are organic and a lot of them are working towards sustainability and it's actually working and you're seeing it work. So I think it'll be kind of a cool thing over the next few years do you have any do you have a sense of how what the how the approach differs in terms of marketing emerging wines out of regions like that versus some of the established places yeah it's like what's the approach that you take getting someone to put a michigan wine on their table for instance yeah it's tough it's not it's definitely not easy and one of the hard parts is that the quant like the quantity that they have to put out there just isn't as much as it might be from some of the bigger areas so the stuff that sure. they're making they want to sell in their tasting room because they do sell out in the tasting rooms tasting rooms are hopping in the summer times especially and so they end up selling out and so they don't have a lot to distribute 
So it's mostly, I would say at this point, it's a lot of promoting the tourism of the region to get people there. And for a region like Michigan, like I said, it's in Chicago's backyard. So it's really trying to bring awareness to Chicago, as well as Indianapolis and Detroit, because they're all within that that can easily get up there and spend the weekend or spend a week in the summer. So it's a lot of tourism promotions at this point, I think, to get people familiar with the region. But then you are starting to see some of the producers, uh, the one I was just at for the last two years, that are focusing only on distribution. So right now they don't have a tasting room. They will at some point, but they're focusing heavily on distribution in Chicago. So you're starting to see some of it really start to push to market, which is cool. But it's a challenge because it's they're unknown regions. And especially you get people that are used to drinking from the bigger places that they know. And it's a different style of wine. This isn't, it's when you get a Cabernet from Michigan, it's not like a Cabernet from California or Bordeaux. It's Michigan. It's high quality. Some of them, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of it like anywhere. There's some variance in quality, but the ability to make a high quality wine is there. Um, and it's, it's more of a cool climate. So you're going to get the higher acids, you're going to get those more fresh fruit forward flavors. So it's, it's, it's an education process, like anything else, you know, wine. it's like, this is, you can't, it's not, it's apples and oranges. You can't compare one region to the other. It's always going to be different. You can assess quality. You can assess, is it made in the right way? Does it have balance? Does it have structure? Does it, you know, that kind of stuff, but you can't compare it to other regions. You can't get it on its own. So it's more of a challenge, I yeah. think, because it does require a bit of education and a big ask of people to trust me on this wine because I can't tell you the amount of times I've been like laughed at because I like Michigan wine. Like, oh, I have Michigan. I'm like, no, for real, I'm like, attract this. Yeah. So open up to it. It's really, there's some good stuff. Um, but I think when people are open and keep an open mind, I think they start to realize, okay, there's actually something happening. And that's true of any emerging region. You're going to have those hiccups when they first start out because they're learning. When you look at Napa, that's really, they only just started really in the 60s and 70s, right? That's not that long ago. For these newer regions that are just starting up, it's they're not too late to the game. It just takes a little while. So and I think just have to have an open mind with it. That makes a lot of sense. So are you seeing when they are distributed more like specialty wine shops or is it hospitality first? Like where are they getting their foot in the door? Yeah, this particular winery is at Stranger Wine Company. They got their foot in the door for a natural wine distributor here in Chicago. And so they were in, I want to say, hmm. don't quote me on this, but maybe 25 different restaurants. So mostly on premise, which I think hmm. is the way to go initially, just because on premise, then you know, the people selling the wine have the ability to tell the yeah. story, which is once that starts rolling, builds momentum, then I think it's easier to move into the off-premise stuff. But yeah, it's sold out. Their pallets are moving. It, it seemed to seem to go really well because it's you're able to sell that local angle too, that this is something that's local to us. And it's not, it has that sustainability aspect. It has, it's in our backyard, which is cool. So it's got a lot of story to tell, which is kind of interesting too. I think a lot of us in the wine industry would love people to build more relationships with their local wine merchants and their shops, their boutique shops, and to get recommendations from those places and to buy wines, maybe from smaller portfolios out of those places. How do you see the relationship of maybe a wine content and media team like Vino had? What role do they play alongside maybe like the desire for people to also be getting those recommendations yeah. that you might give from their local oh, shops. Sure. Yeah, right now we have, so every wine that we list in the newsletter that we review, we have an affiliate link where you can actually buy that wine. And it's always, it's typically local shops. So KNL Merchants out in yeah. the West Coast, Mr. D's in Florida. So it's all like local spots that we'll refer to. Cool. I, down the line, maybe you'll see a Vino Head sticker in a, in a wine shop that has a Vino Head approved kind of thing. Who knows? No point numbers, but approved by Vino Head. Sure. You never know. <laughs> but I think there's definitely a way to do that. That's how we find a lot of the wines that we're reviewing is we're going to our local shops and taking recommendations and or if we're at the restaurant and we talk to the sound and figure out, okay, what's what's new? What's going to pique our interest? And we ask questions all the time and it's cool. And I always tell people that, so, you know, how, what wine should I pick? I still get overwhelmed. But you walk into one of those big box stores and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what, I don't even know where to start. I've been in this a while. It's overwhelming. And so I think you just have to ask questions. And even the pros ask questions because there's always something new. There's, it's just, and that's the cool thing about it. It's a rabbit hole. There is always something new and that's the fun part about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You always ask questions. The questions may change, but yeah. there's always more questions that you're going to have. Exactly. That's and fun. I, I always, the more I've learned about wine, the more questions you end up having, yeah. actually. You feel yeah. like you go through a little phase where you think you're like, oh, no, I got it all. And then you're like, oh, yeah, no, that yeah, was, that was horrible. Everything. I knew yeah. nothing. Exactly. And even like, <laughs> Extremely short phase. Right? Yeah, super short. And even look at like the masters of wine. Like even they don't know everything. They know a lot more than me. 
But like, I feel like everybody has their niche too and what they're interested in. And there's so many different things you can be interested in. Everything from like, you mentioned the labels on the wine bottles. You can be focused on that. You can be really geeking out about the yeasts in the wine or sustainable viticulture, or maybe it's the history or the family story. There's so many pieces that I think if you're into wine and have an interest in it, there's so many different paths you can take that... It's just really cool. It's just a never ending and every, and so you can focus on the things that you enjoy and maybe specialize in that, get good at that and be expert in that area, but you're not going to know everything. It's just, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. You're uh, you're go on Brady. I'll change. Well, I was, I was going to go into maybe some talking about more of some of your like current interests in wine right now. And just, I know you obviously write a lot about what you're drinking, yeah. but why maybe to talk a little bit about what sort of what's in your fridge right now what are you drinking on a tuesday kind of what sorts of things are yeah you're really excited about awesome in my fridge right now there's almost nothing because i'm moving so everything is already gone i shipped all the wine it was like it was terrifying watching the wine leave the house i was like oh my goodbye God, my babies <laughs> please but i would say most often i always have some kind of sparkling in my fridge like always i do love champagne that's my thing especially grower champagne I'm getting really into that the last couple of years. So I've always got some of that laying around and but really any kind of sparkling, traditional method sparkling I have around a lot. Tuesday night wines. Oh, that's all over the place. I will really drink almost anything. I tend to lean to, more towards cool climate. I like higher acidity wines. Cabernet Franc. I always say Cabernet Franc is my boyfriend. That's my grape. I just love Cab Franc like in all its forms. It's been my kind of the one I fell in love with when I first got into wine, and it's still my favorite. So there's always some of that around. I don't know. I like exploring lots of different wines, but it's been an interesting, even in the last 10 years, I've switched from when I first started getting into wine, I really only liked reds. Like I really, I wouldn't touch white wines. I didn't, I didn't care for them. And it's now kind of, I think I drink more whites than reds at this point. So I've flipped a little bit, which is interesting. So I think your taste just changes over time and it, I'm sure it'll change again. And what I'm drinking today might not be what I like tomorrow. And so it's kind of, it's interesting, but I would say cool yeah. climates. I like, I tend to like wines that aren't too heavy in alcohol. I like the 13% range or is where I like to fall. Anything more than that, it's like, whew, it's a bit, bit much for me at times, unless I'm having a big meal with it. Especially um, a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get up and work. That's <laughs> not great. But yeah, I would say kind of sparkling wines are more my everyday kind of obsession lately. And it's, that's been a lot of fun yeah. to kind of get into those. Yeah. Good. I was going to say, I agree. Also, we have a recommendation for the equivalent of a Grewer Champagne in the Willamette Valley. One ooh, of our, our buddies oh, yeah, over at right. Granville. So yeah, he's basically making, we, we, we can chat about it more, but he's okay. basically making like very small lots and he makes a Blanc de Blanc. He just came out with a awesome. Blanc de Noir. Was it Brady or was yeah, it? Yeah, it is. A, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Blanc de Noir. But they're super cool. I, I believe he's had the Blanc de Noir for a little while and the Blanc de Blanc yeah. is, the, cur- okay. is the new thing. They had a super neat, but traditional, nice lease time. (laughs) Yeah, send me the details. uh, I'll be there. We'll use that then as a transition. So you're moving to the Willamette Valley. Yeah. What spurred this and what are you going to be? Where are you going to be? I am going to be smack in the heart of Willamette and McMinnville. So I will be like right in the center of it all, which is, it boggles my mind. So like I Googled wineries when I was there and it was like 700. And I was just like, oh my God, like what? This is amazing. I'm going from a Michigan where I've got 20 that I work with. I'm like, there's 700 wineries. So this, it was actually, my husband's job has taken us out there and he's not in wine. It's completely unrelated. So he was in a national job search and this was the one that came up. And so it was just synchronicity. I'm like, this is amazing. Like I get to be in wine country. You get to do your thing. Vino Head, I can do from anywhere in the country. I had partnered in LA, but like I said, where writers are scattered everywhere. And so I'll still be working on that. Obviously won't be at the vineyard in Michigan anymore. So I'll be missing Michigan, but there's a few other vineyards out there that I can check out if I want to. But yeah, I'll be teaching. I'll be writing. I'll be just doing everything I do here just taking it to a new location so i'm excited i'm excited you'll be t- 22 minutes from our friends at granville Excellent. Um, okay uh, that might be the first place i go that's, <laughs> okay here we that's go. better well, than I, the 42 I, hours that i am from them because i don't think my wine yeah. will get there before i do so i might need to fix them up <laughs> Well, McMinnville is like the best spot because you're awesome. you're basically yeah. an hour radius to anything, including back up to Portland, yep. back to the bottom of the valley. Like, oh, it's a nice spot. Yeah, it's incredible. So. Yeah, to the ocean. Like, this is all coming from the middle of the country to me. This is, this is amazing. So, oh my god, being to the ocean in forty five minutes—it's insane. Yeah. So it should be pretty cool. I'm excited. I'm excited and just yeah. excited to dive into the wines there. I haven't. This, the inner job interview was the first trip I had ever made out there, so it was. I haven't really 
explored the Willamette at all. So I'm excited to to really dig in and get to know it. Yeah, even Portland, there's a really cool wine scene overall. Some of the, some of the bars and shops. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. We, we like once a year at least. Last okay. year was a couple times. Awesome. It's super dandy. Yeah, there's always something awesome. new to new right. to find. Well, you have to look me up while I'm there now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. So you're teaching. How did you get into teaching? Because that's always something I've been interested in down the line personally, it's but also just what levels do you teach? Yeah, how do you get into it? Yeah, so I got in. It was another Instagram connection, which seems to be how everything in my life happens. I met the owner of a wine school here in Chicago. We happened to be at a lunch together and I had taken... I've gotten through level three, started diploma and decided I, I just do not have the time or headspace for that. So maybe sometime <laughs> down the line, but not right now, but I can teach level with having level three, you can teach levels one and two. I prefer to just do level one. I love it. It's mostly consumers. It's mostly non-career oriented people that just are curious about wine, which is my sweet spot. Um, And I just love, I love those classes. There's people on dates. There's people there for girls night or they're with their buddies and there's people that are just curious (laughs) and you just get these, it fuels my excitement even more because it's after you're doing this for a while, you can, it's easy to lose sight. I think of why you're doing it. You just can get in to it but then you go to these classes and oh, they're just as excited like you see their excitement it's yes that's that's why i got into wine that's why i'm still here and so it's just so much fun to go through that class and it's really it's basic entry level wine info like here's how you make wine it's very macro level kind of stuff but it's a blast and you think I think teaching level one is an opportunity to start to break down some of those barriers to get people less afraid to talk about it and to have conversations and say what they like and don't like. And just, it's an opportunity to share and say, this doesn't have to be scary. We're all learning. We'll all have questions. I'm the same boat as you. I started there and I'm over here and I'm still asking questions and I still get (laughs) things wrong. And I, so it's, it really opens up those conversations and it's just a blast. And then there's the food and wine pairing lab with level one. That's always awesome that's the only level it has that oh i forgot about that yeah, which is always my I, favorite thing i oh. skipped that but i had a one of the guys who was teaching my level three was like bragging about how he would always give everybody like hot Cheetos and like <laughs> the highest alcohol red wine yes. he could find just yep. so them. And he's, yep. always, he's just like, oh, it's hilarious. The reaction. Oh yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I do like hot, uh, what is it? Like a hot tapito sauce or something. It's like a hot salsa sauce and it's super spicy. And then I usually do either like a high alcohol <laughs> Zin or high alcohol Shiraz. And I do it with them. It's, so I'm like, you don't have to do this by yourselves. I will do it too. But the watching faces is just priceless. Like, <laughs> Bet you would never do that with a Cab Franc. You're yeah. To ruin exactly. Zen, but you <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not doing it with a good, yeah, I'm not with a good bottle. So. <laughs> this is the heavy, jammy, high burning sensation. Yeah, it's great, <laughs> but it's so much fun. I actually had a guy once on, I was teaching virtually during the pandemic, and so they had to bring their own supplies for that one. So he had some hot salsa, and we're doing the exercise, and he took a spoonful of the hot salsa and dressed. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> So now I have to like preface everything. Say, do not take a spoonful. Just take a little dab on your chip or on your hand, like whatever you want to do, but do not do a spoonful. <laughs> but it's, a, it's just a ton of fun. And everybody, it's cool too, because you get to see like those aha moments for people. Or else, because it's, you're learning why things work and why they don't work. It's not, you're not getting too granular of recipe kind of stuff. But here's why hot salsa and high alcohol don't work. So you talk about that stuff and you get to see their aha moments. Oh, okay. Yeah. And again, it breaks down those barriers. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. It's wine is supposed to go with food. It's meant to be with meals. So wine's not really the problem. It's more our foods that are, that's where we complicate things. It's, it's yeah. fun to do those classes. How, I just love it. How did you end up on the W set track versus CMS or something else? Was it Never really a thought that you would do CMS or? Yeah, never really a thought. The guy I was working for in Michigan, he was, he had the WSET classes at the winery. And so that's where I took one and two. And then for me, it wasn't interested in the service side. Like I knew that wasn't something I wanted to do. For me, it's more the kind of the business side or the education side, marketing side, writing side. So I think for me, the WSET just fit better. I'm not ever going to serve a table. I would be terrible at that. <laughs> no one wants me doing that. I can happily talk to people at a table, but you don't want me serving anyone because it will be a mess. Yeah. So I think that was kind of why I never really went that route. But yeah, there's so many education opportunities out there from the certified wine specialists and CMS and WSET and the Wine Scholar Guild. There's so many opportunities out there. And then mm. programs too in McMinnville where we're going, but my husband's job's at Linfield University. And they actually have a wine and viticulture program there. So that's cool too. Like you can career track yourself right away. But I wish I had known that at 18. I would have 
my life might have lined up a little yeah. bit differently, but <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm with you. I decided to. I got into wine when I was 26 after awesome. watching Thom yeah. for the millionth time. Yep. So yeah, so all I did was like. I was like, oh, I wonder how people do this. And I just signed up for an exam and like I didn't drink wine. So I just like wow. read the wine Bible and yeah. took the exam like three months later. Holy and I was like, oh, wow. this is fun. Wow. And then and then I got hooked. So then I took the certified SOM exam like a month and a half later and randomly passed that. So I was like, maybe awesome. I should go into wine as a nice, career. <laughs> nice. And do you want to go on yeah. to the MW after your diploma or is diploma kind of the? Yeah, that okay. would be the, that's awesome. the ultimate goal. So we'll, awesome. we will see. I'm knocking on wood. Hopefully get my positive results. And then now that we have my boss here now is an MW. Yeah. So my biggest concern was how to get a recommendation from an MW. So if Adam doesn't <laughs> yeah, give yeah. me one, yeah, stay on good behavior, I'm going uh, to, I'll, I'll quit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but uh, I was going to ask earlier, I don't want our audience to think there are stupid questions, but what are yeah. some of the funnier questions you've gotten during your classes about yeah. Yeah, and know, that's just, oranges and orange wine? Or, yeah. And there's no bad questions, right? That's just it. There's I have don't know what you don't know. I had somebody ask what the difference between Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Sauvignon was. And it was an honest question, like honestly didn't know and laugh at it. But it's, if you don't know, you don't know. And it's okay. Yeah, here it's a red grape and a white grape. Those were the two biggest differences. Like it can be as basic as that. And then I'll get other questions. You always get the the headaches and sulfites question. That's always a fun one. And then get a lot of questions about what is natural wine. You get that a lot lately, which isn't a bad, it's not a bad question. It's just a complicated answer because there is no standards there's no category there's nothing defining that specifically so it's so vague do you do you, do you hand out those little droppers that reduce tannins no uh-uh. the, no <laughs> i saw that no. in the store the other day yeah. it was like a little no. little uh, like dropper and it says tannin reducer yeah, no. what, what is Stop it just it. like sugar or like, i don't, I don't know protein it like it just finds the wine in the glass Apparently. yeah i was thinking about <laughs> just buying the whole case of it off the shelf and throwing it out on the way out the door no. so that no one else bought it no. <laughs> Like you want minimal intervention wines on one hand, but then you're going to add something to it. No, yeah, that's right. don't do it. No, it's just, yeah, I always just tell people, get, have a glass of water. Make sure you're having a lot of water. That's like, <laughs> just hydrate because it is dehydrating. That's there's your headaches. It dehydrates you easily. So yeah, just drink some water. But yeah, I think those were probably the, the wildest question, most basic questions. There's always, it's always something because it's just, and that was interesting too. I feel like the more wine education we take on the career track route, you're surrounded by people that know as much as you do, right? You're studying the same stuff. So your your bubble becomes other people that know wine. And you forget that the majority of people out there, it's not what they do. It's not what they know. They it's they know what's at the grocery store. They know what they had at a friend's house. That's it, but that's it. And they don't and they shouldn't know anymore. Why do they have to? It's not their job, right? Mm, so I think it's, right. it's remembering that. Oh, yeah, this is what I do. I This is why I know this. But other people just, they don't. And so I think that's where the recommendations come in, too, because not everybody wants to study this stuff. We're the crazy ones that love it. And it's <laughs> our thing. And it's not everybody else's thing. And they just want to know, tell me what I should buy and why. I don't want to know about the yeast. I don't care. Just give me that. <laughs> tell me what bottle I need. It's interesting on our side of the business because we're an investment company, we have folks who come to us strictly because they were into the investment thing yeah. and the finance. And we have people who come in because they were really interested in wine. And so the spectrum of oh, understanding yeah. about wine, it's really fun to interact with clients who, oh, like I actually had someone the other day, I think maybe listen to the podcast. So we'll recognize this, um, but was saying that he actually started getting more into wine from following some of our content and being invested with us, which is really great because we don't, think of ourselves as a wine company primarily, but it's always really cool for obviously Billy and I who are into wine yeah. outside of just investing to hear that folks have yeah. come to it in that place. Yeah. And that's a great example. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I can tell you a lot of things about wine, but ask me anything about investments. Forget it. Like I'm, that's why I go to people to help me with that stuff. So it's the same kind of thing. Like not everybody's going to know or care to know what we know. And that's okay. So looking forward into 2023, what are you excited about on a wine side? What are you going to be getting into? Yeah. yeah uh, it's on the radar. Uh, obviously, while I'm at Valley, I'll be definitely diving into that. I, for me, I'm actually, I want to go back and it's kind of my goal for this year is to start taking Spanish classes again. So I took a lot nice. through school and I was recently in Argentina on a wine trip and the, something just clicked and it was like, no, this is what I need to be doing somehow or another. I don't know what it looks like yet. I want to pick up my Spanish again and then figure out how to roll Argentina wines into what I do. I have no idea what it looks like. I don't know if that's making wine eventually. I don't know if it's importing. I have no idea, but I know that's the direction I want to kind of work my way towards, which... So I'll be working on that That's this awesome. year and yeah, just all my usual projects and writing and teaching and all that stuff. So it's always exciting. It's, and it's interesting because I, 
I feel like I always have goals like that, but they're not really defined. They're more like intentions of areas I want to go. And then it just tends to work out because you know, I can't, I couldn't have planned this career. There's no way I could have planned this path at all. But I think if you're on the path that you know you're supposed to be on, that you're excited about it, you love it, you naturally work hard because of it. It's always a hustle, right? As long as you're doing those things, I think opportunities, you put yourself in line to find opportunities that'll line up with what you want. So it's more intentions, I think, than specific goals. So we'll see. Maybe I'll end up in Spain and not Argentina. I have no idea. <laughs> but I am going you should, to Spanish. You should, you should design the Duolingo for wine. Oh, there because, we go. Because like my, my wine for French is terrible and my wine German is even worse. You know what's really um, and so like it would be it would be good to, it would be good that to have a- I can barely pronounce a lot of the producers' names in Napa. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, my, my French producer so like, name will forget that. What's really funny yeah, is my but husband bought me for wine, Christmas a book about a wine one oh one book in Spanish. She's ready to practice your Spanish. So it's, it's all wine stuff I know, but it's in Spanish. I'm like, this is awesome. So maybe I'll do that. Yeah. It'll just be wine dual lingo. Yeah. I like it. I'll be your first customer. I like it. Awesome. <laughs> you never know. Never know. Very cool. That's great. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get out there to Willamette. Yeah, Any yes. other reasons for me to come out are Perfect. are welcome because, like you said, it is beautiful. Yeah, and you have some um, details for that sparkling wine place. I would love to get out there. Awesome. For sure. Yeah. To have some recommendations. I wanted to go back because I thought the stuff you were saying about Michigan was really cool. And so yeah. to wrap up here, maybe we can touch a few other places because you said that you've tasted in so many different states. Yeah. I, Billy and I might both like to hear if you've tasted in Vermont. I really yes. like to hear how much you've tasted in Maryland and Virginia. Billy's from Virginia too. Nice. Awesome. But yeah, any of those three places, does something stand out to you? Or? Yeah, Vermont. And there are a couple times for wine. And it, that was the first place I had a couple hybrids, Marquette and Marichal Foch, which they do in Michigan too. Do you know David Keck? No. Uh-uh. Weird. I didn't know people could drink wine in Vermont and not know him. He's an NMS making wine up there. Oh, wow. But he's like, there's, he's, there's 40 total acres or whatever. There's okay. this, whatever small amount of wine. So that's crazy. That's All right. Wild. Anyway, go yeah. on. I want to hear does he make yeah. cider too? Is that right, Billy? Or I think he cider. took, I think they're planting where cider once lived uh, okay. or grow, grew. Nice. I want to say Loved. it was most, it was probably 10 years ago that I was there. And it was mostly hybrids at the time, but I would say they were some of the best hybrid wines I've had. They were they were done well. So yeah, Ver- Vermont was super exciting. Virginia, nice. I was there two summers ago and did a bunch of the wineries there. And it's, I think Virginia's pretty cool. They have good Cab Franc. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, why I still have a lot of that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of their Cab Franc. And their Bordeaux blends, I think, were really cool too. It's an interesting spot. It was a cool trip. I think, what other one did Maryland? I have not had any wines from Maryland. Not yet. That'll be, nice. be one. Do you like Long Island Cab Franc? And they're known for it. I've only had a couple. I've only had a couple too. Yeah, uh-huh. I, Finger Lakes was where I would always just stop, and I—that's that's my home away from home, so I just focus on that. But I've had a couple, and they were—I really like their Cab Franc too. I was like, all right, I have to check that part of the state out if I can. If I can make it past the Finger Lakes one day, maybe. <laughs> I tend to get stuck. Can there. you explain for listeners what a hybrid is, and also yeah. halfway for me because I, I do understand some, but probably not all. Yeah, so hybrid is. You can jump in here too, Bill, because I have not touched hybrids in a while. But basically, Vitis vinifera are the kind of the winemaking grapes that are naturally occurring. And they also cross. So Cabernet Sauvignon is a cross between Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. And that happened in the wild. So it's a natural hybrid, but it's still Vitis vinifera. It's all natural. The hybrids we're talking about, a lot of times you get French, American hybrids. So they're crossing um, non-wine grape varieties with wine grape varieties. Is that kind of on, is that correct, Billy? Kind of, basically just like different species yeah. technically they are american varieties of grapes like labrusca riparia yep. some other ones that can produce grapes and they have been made into wine but they're they just have distinct <laughs> yeah they're just not oh, very so, good so like, they're, like, they're like, like concord in the like mid-atlantic or the south yeah. maybe yeah. something like that yeah. okay and across them to basically all the features like some that can grow in the northeast and they're really hardy hardy in the cold yeah yeah Yeah. so they pick like the pieces they want from certain ones and then they develop a lot of them cornell a bunch are developed Mm -hmm. out in minnesota minnesota yeah so they'll genetically engineer different hybrids to fit with those things that we need drought resistant cold hardy that kind of stuff yeah it's interesting and there's brady would have appreciated oh sorry i didn't mean to but i did have a minnesota I did have a Minnesota wine last weekend. Nice. What'd you uh, have? That was oh. that was pretty cool. Of one of these hybrids, nice. so that was neat. Awesome. Was it a front neck um, by chance? No, okay. it was not. I actually like front neck. Okay. My, another long story. My brother used to date someone who lives in Ohio and makes wine, and she gives a lot of random things. Awesome. But one random note, just to so our listeners, on the finish off on the nerdy side, crossings are Vitis vinifera with Vitis vinifera hybrids, mm. Vitis vinifera with other species. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just so 
you know those yeah because yeah, you can cross there's a pinotage that's like a cross between two Cinso and yeah Pinot Noir. yeah so it's a cross it's not a hybrid yeah good point good point. so are most of the i'm just trying to think like syrah is that a single kind of venus vinifera or was it originally two different venus viniferi good question <laughs> i don't know about syrah Syrah or just like a, any of it is a no it's a in more of an ancient yeah, varietal and yeah. from okay. from like actually the Rhone they they have a hard time finding its DNA but like Jansis and this guy named Vuillemoge they basically have a book that's called yep. wine grapes it's like a thousand grapes and they've done DNA tracking so you can see mm. the parentage of like most grapes yeah. Yeah, almost all wild. of them are yeah yeah it's so cool yeah. but yeah and then you get everything get into is from something else and- there's all sure, stuff yeah. because then you've got all Mutation. these different Pinot Noir clones, different Chardonnay clones, and it's the same plant, but different DNA, slightly different DNA. So it gets complicated and wild, but it's cool. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Almost all grapes we have are natural crossings, like the old French grapes and some other ones. There's very few that are ancient that are like very at the top. Yeah. And a sure. lot of times, and when you look at the old, like old vineyards way back when, everything was just planted wild and all out there so vine by vine could be a different grape variety it doesn't look didn't look like it does today where you've got rows of pinot noir rows of cab Sauv. like they were all just mixed together and so a lot of times you didn't even know what it was and that's why they're still discovering so many different varieties and regions and old world regions still too was it like i guess like maybe a certico is one that is ancient and hasn't been crossed naturally before i don't yeah. know if we have that knowledge readily available yeah but i just remember when we were on santorini they were saying that it wasn't affected by phylloxera obviously because it was like out on the island and that it i'm pretty sure it was there when folks came but i could be wrong about that that's what yeah that's what um, i remember when i was there too i was just trying yeah. to rack my mind for some, yeah, something that maybe fit that <laughs> there for a while yeah it's yeah it's amazing how old some of these can be it's incredible and just the yeah, varieties yeah. that are still popping up and then the ones that are long extinct too because there's i'm sure many that have disappeared and then there will be new ones. Oh, yeah. Wine. If you ever want to go way down the wine rabbit hole, I'm only like halfway through the book. But the story of wine by Hugh Johnson, it starts in like many millennia BC and Ooh. brings up like how wines evolved through time and as it was part of culture. But he wow. talks about so many varieties that were written down and they're like, we have no idea what this was or this yeah. definitely doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But yeah. made great wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like and, in the old text, there's no Cabernet Sauvignon. Like that didn't come around until much later. So it's wild mm. to think about. Now it's like the most, one of the most well-known, certainly most planted grape. And it's, it's kind of wild. To think oh yeah. That's relatively new in wine history. Now it's the king. So it's kind of, yeah. it's wild. Yeah. This is great. I thought, I think we, we touched a lot of stuff that's really good for kind of casual wine consumers and new folks, but also yeah. maybe some nerdy yeah. stuff as well. So yeah, definitely appre- appreciate your knowledge and insight. And I definitely got some things to look out for. So I'll be Googling Michigan wines nice. that ship to Maryland. Nice. There you go. There you go. I can give you a few. I can give you a few. I know to do. So, nice. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and we'll send you some notes. We'll send you some notes on Willamette too and awesome. get you connected with some of our friends. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Now this is great. This is great. And then real quick on Vinohead, I forgot to mention people can sign up mm-hmm. for that website yep. and it is free. Good thing to note about the newsletter. It is free. So it's just sign up online. Yeah. We'll, we'll drop some links in the show notes cool. too and in the YouTube description and stuff. And so awesome. make sure that yeah, people can find you guys awesome. easily. Yeah, um, if anybody's out always in LA, great content. they're hosting a bunch of social club pop-up parties. Um we did probably a handful or a dozen or so last year. And then we're going to increase that number this year. So those will be happening. Starting out in LA, eventually spreading to other cities, but just meet and greet wine nights and taste some cool wine, meet some people that love wine and build that community. The main parameter for those dates are when Billy is traveling. Every single one. I was just like, when I'm gone, (laughs) that's when the Vino had event. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks, Christy. Yep. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed our interview with Christy and learning more about Vinohead. They are, we forgot to mention actually in the intro that they are long-term friends of the program. Um, Their founder, Josh has, I've had lunch with him out here in New York. He's very early contact with Nick was helping advise event as we got off the ground and encouraging us. So Shout out to Vino Head. Everybody should check it out. Subscribe to their mailing. And yeah, we're going to be back with another episode next week. We have a few interviews that we have to choose from coming up. So stay tuned. Who knows what will be next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Cheers. 
To check out our current offerings and to sign up for the Vint platform, find us at www.vint.co. That's www.vint.co. For questions, comments, or feedback on the Vint podcast, please email us at support at vint.co. Vint and VV Markets are offering securities pursuant to Regulation A. Our offering circular as amended can be found on the SEC website. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments such as those on the Vint platform are speculative and involve substantial risks to consider before investing. We may provide communication that may contain certain forward-looking statements that are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Information provided in any communications, including this podcast, is not legal, business, or tax advice. All prospective investors should consult a legal, tax, or business advisor concerning the subject matter of any communications and any offering.